I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15 today, and we are going to continue in our series on the promise of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to consider the illumination or the instruction of the Spirit, um, how the Spirit um, has come to illuminate the person of Christ, uh, which is another way of saying how the Spirit has come to guide us into truth. Uh, and so this is a really, really important component uh, to God's activity, a redemptive activity in the believer's life. Uh, and it's a key component to actually living victoriously uh, because really we live in an age where like Pilate, you remember in John chapter 18 when Jesus uh, stood before Pilate and Jesus says, uh, he says, whoever, uh, whoever is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says, what? is truth? That is the fundamental question uh, that was asked 2,000 years ago that is continuing to be asked today. And Pilate's request uh, was sadly followed up with an unwillingness to actually stick around for the answer, which was the truth is not something, but it's wrapped up in the person of Jesus himself. And truth is an important component for us as Christians because our lives are not built upon feelings, uh, it's not meant to be built upon what we feel like doing today, but as we come under the lordship of Christ, who is truth embodied, we are, our lives are dictated or the parameters are created uh, by which we actually experience liberation. But the fact is, is that we have come into a place where the famous line from the 17th century French philosopher René Descartes, who said, all is to be doubted is being played out in every arena of a human existence today. The great collision between the mind of Christ and the secular mind cannot be underestimated. It is intellectual anarchy out there, and unfortunately, it is in here as well. And so what we need to understand is that in order for us to actually become conduits by which Jesus is known, we have to actually build our lives upon the truth of who God is and what God has revealed uh, to us through his scriptures, and it requires a supernatural illumination that we can't understand the truth until the truth sets us free. And so what I want us to see today is just how important this theme is. First of all, I want, I want you to understand just how powerful the forces are in this world that are redefining and have so turned truth upside on its head that we live in a time where uh, truth has been replaced with, uh, with speculative creativity. I have the right to create my own reality, my own existence. I have the right to define for myself what is right and what is wrong. And relativism is played out into, into the way that we think, and it affects how we live as Christians because what happens is that we are afraid of standing upon the truth of who Jesus is. We have a, we have a fear of living according to his ethics. We want Jesus as a savior, but to accept him as Lord means that we come under the rule of his ethics, of his kingdom, and his kingdom flies in the face. It's an upside down kingdom. It's the antithesis of what the world is declaring to us. 
We reject often, even as people who call themselves Christians reject his sexual ethic. We reject his moral ethics. We have to understand that lies are the defining factor of modern society. In fact, I mean, I'll give you a quote from a famous atheist, one of America's beloved, Mark Twain, said, a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can even get its boots on. I mean, watch, watch the political arena right now. Truth is so subjective. Truth is how you spin the lie. That seems to be the new agenda that plays itself out all around us. But should we be surprised? What do the scriptures say? about truth and about the, about the reality of, of existence in a fallen world. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus being confronted by those Jews who wanted to see him crucified, he said, you are of your father in John 8, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Notice Jesus isn't like really worried about speaking out. I mean, that's just not like, you this crazy. If I said that, if I'm like, you are children of your father, the devil, you guys would be like, this guy's crazy. He's a zealot. Uh, but Jesus wasn't afraid to, to confront evil when it was from, and this is, he's confronting it in people that he loves, people that he wants to come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is why he speaks the truth. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I want to share with you, okay, so Jesus says that about, you're like, well, we're not, the, we're not those people that are against Jesus. We're for Jesus. But, and this is, that's a very specific group. Well, let me just tell you what John writes in 1 John. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And who is the evil one? The devil, who is the father of what? Lies. He's a liar from the beginning. Because the great lie that humanity has bought into, that, has, that, that feeds into all the other lies that we believe, is the lie that we have the right to define for ourselves our own existence. That is the fundamental lie that defines the word sin, a rebellion against God's sovereign rule, a refusal to accept his terms uh, and, and his lordship over our lives, a desire to be our own gods. And this is the reality, is that when we live in that way, we are living under the rule of the evil one. And that should not be, because as we just sang in that song I just shared, that sin and death has been conquered the devil, has, his, his power has been defeated by the victory of the cross. And the coming of the Spirit is meant to bring us into truth so that Jesus might be known through us. But if we're wishy-washy about truth, if we're afraid to say, thus saith the Lord, instead of, well, maybe he didn't actually say that, or I believe he said it, but I'm never going to state it because I don't want people to think that I'm bigoted or small-minded. But here's the fact. We are told in Romans 1, chapter, uh, verse 25, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth because they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so I just ask you, is your Christianity merely theory or is it built upon fact? Is it built upon reality? I always say that Jesus is the reality upon which all other realities 
hinge. Harry Blamiers, in my favorite book on Christian thinking ever written called The Christian Mind, he said, the Christian mind has the overriding sense that the truth it clings to is supernaturally grounded. That is, it's anchored in the heart of God. That it's revealed, not manufactured. That it's eternal. What he's saying, it's eternal, not created. It's imposed, not chosen. It's another way of saying it's universal. It's objective. That is, it's a fact, and it's irresistible. No one can escape it. They can only ignore it. In other words, the Christian faith is built upon facts and acts, not feelings. It's immovable. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Ephesians 4, 21, the truth is in Jesus. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the what? the truth and the life. He says in John chapter four, when he tells the woman at the well that the father is seeking true worshipers and true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in what? Truth. You can never actually disconnect the theology of word and spirit, actually. The spirit not only inspired the authors and, and, and influenced the words that have been given to us in scripture, but he also is the one who instructs and teaches us the truth that is found in them, which is the truth of who Jesus is. He brings us to the word incarnate. And so what I want you to see today in this, in this passage in John 16 is how necessary it is that we have the spirit, especially in a time where truth is so turned up on, upside down on its head that we have an entire society that actually sees truth as something that is fluid, Instead of something that is immovable, it's actually there's fluidity in it, that, it, that it, it changes with the times, it changes with society, it changes with the age. And that progression is actually shedding off uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the affliction of a moral ethic in uh, freeing yourself to live the way that you want to define for yourself. That is real liberation. But all we have found is that it actually enslaves and creates ever-increasing levels of despair. So what does Jesus promise us with the Spirit? Well, first of all, in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. I just want to begin by saying that the mind of Christ it, um, requires a dependence upon the Spirit. Jesus tells his own disciples, I have so much more I want to share with you, but you actually will not be able to comprehend what I'm telling you. And if you notice anything in the teachings of Christ uh, when, in regards to his interactions with the disciples through the Gospels, what you find is that you're never, you never cease to be amazed at their absolute inability to comprehend anything that is happening. And it's not because they are foolish, it's because they had not yet received the Spirit. There was not a, a, a supernatural illumination. They see the illumination in Christ, but they had yet to receive that illumination into themselves in the unique way that would come. Jesus says, it's good that I go to my Father, for if I go to the Father, he's looking through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, to his ascension, and to the sending of his spirit. He's looking forward to Pentecost. Remember, Peter goes from being a denier to being a bold preacher who has just a power in his communication and an authority in his declaration of the scriptures. 
the meaning of the scriptures all of a sudden by the influence and the instruction of the spirit as he yields to the spirit brings forth a proclamation of who Jesus is and 3,000 souls are saved. And so here he says, I have much more to say to you, but you can't bear it right now. And he begins with the prerequisite to learning. It requires illumination. You can't understand it because you don't yet have that internal illumination. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I used to find that to be the, one of the most confounding verses in Scripture. But we have the mind of Christ. I don't know about you, but that offends my natural instinct because I'm like, I'm like, ah, Paul, you don't know what I think about. I do not think these are Jesus' thoughts right now. Uh, someone cuts me off on the road, and I'm like, I'm like, but I have the mind of Christ. I'm like, you blank, blank. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a pastor, and that's one of our people. <laughs> so, I mean, it's happened. I'm not, you know, what does he mean by, but we have the mind of Christ? What he's saying is that to be born again, as we considered last week, that regeneration and baptism into the family of God means that God literally comes to make his home within us, that we actually, we actually become a vehicle and God becomes a passenger within us, and that the presence of God is available to us, but it requires a surrender. It requires a daily yieldedness. That we have the mind of Christ means that we have available to us the very presence of God in the Spirit. And so here's the thing. It's, it's dangerous to try to separate the Godhead too much because Jesus says, we will send the Spirit, the Helper, to you. And he goes, and whoever, has, and whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, my Father and I will come to them and make our home within them. If the Spirit of God is within us, that means the Father and the Son are also within us. They're not, they're, they're, you can't separate them without creating a polytheistic religion. This is why we're Trinitarian, one God, one being, three persons. And so this reality is that it requires, Jesus is telling them, you can't bear it right now because you need something, you need, you need the X factor, you need something extra. And it's not energy, it's not a pill that makes you super smart, it's a person who actually instructs us and guides us as we yield to him. And this is why Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. Because without surrendering to the lordship of Jesus, and this is why I believe many Christians continue to live according to the lies of culture, is that they misunderstand the essence of the gospel, that the gospel is not about getting you out of hell and getting you into heaven. The gospel is about getting God out of heaven and putting him back into the human heart so that we can enjoy heaven on the way to heaven, so that we can actually have the very presence of God now. This is the reality of the gospel. And so the beauty of this, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> you guys are, you're trying so much harder lately. I just, I, got, I had like one amen in the last service. I was like, what was that? <laughs> what just happened there? Uh, I think that this is a powerful reality because without the spirit within us, we fall into the trappings of 2 Timothy 3, 7. When we don't yield to the lordship of Christ, the spirit then is grieved and oppressed within us. It actually short circuits his ability to instruct us. Remember what I said, the spirit is a perfect teacher, but we can be really horrible students. And what happens is what, what we looked at when we were going through 2 Timothy, that we can always be learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. 
You, don't you see that? that the, the need for that regeneration, spiritual, we can know nothing of God unless God reveals it to us. So here's the power. It's found in verse 13. There's a threefold process by which the Spirit teaches us. And Jesus says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. There's the first component. Notice, he will guide you. It's, it's, it's a combination of direction and discovery. I love this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. There is a, a reality when we come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus, that there will be a gradual unfolding of truth as we surrender, uh, as we surrender, as we study, and as we obey. I always say to know a truth, to live it, and love it are the same thing. But in the Jewish mindset, you can't say you understand the truth uh, and not actually live it out. You remember that um, scene in? Um, uh, oh man, my mind just went blank on the on the movie with, uh, dang it, never mind, never mind. It just, it just completely ev evaded me. Uh, I, th this reality of uh, this idea, there's a character in this movie where he has this incredible book knowledge uh, and he's, he, he's, he's genius, but he actually hasn't gone anywhere. And so everything he knows is purely from this, from reading, but his, his depth of experience was lacking. And if you know the movie, you can yell it out. Um, what's that? Goodwill Hunting. Thank you. Robin Williams, Matt Damon. Remember when he's, when he's meeting with Robin Williams as a counselor in, the, in, the, uh, in, in Robin Williams, like, like, have you been to the Louvre? Have you actually smelled the painting? You've only looked at him in the textbooks. Thank you. Gosh, that was the worst brain fade. I hate aging. <laughs> uh, so this, this reality, I think that this is a picture for, for us in, in that it's not enough to just people. There's plenty of people that don't believe in Jesus as the son of God who have the most insane working knowledge of the scripture, but it's a dead book in their hand because Christ has not come alive in them, because Christ has not become a reality for them, because there's no obedience, there's no surrender. And so I think this is important. The Spirit comes to guide us, to bring us into the beautiful promise of continual discovery. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Remember I said he can't bring to remembrance what we haven't first put there. So there is an our part, his part component. As we take the time to, to learn the scriptures and as we yield to the person of Christ, as we obey what we understand instead of being constantly obsessed with what we don't get, being obsessed with the nuances of things that we can't comprehend fully, which is, let me just tell you, early on in my faith, um, I, I had a dear friend um, named Scott who's a missionary in Russia. And what I loved about Scott was that there was a, such a simplicity in his faith. And when I got saved, I was so obsessed with, with learning more and learning more. And there was a danger in my obsession because I'm an obsessive personality. So I started to get obsessed with like nuances of theology. And I remember he used, Scott used to come over to my house and he had this t-shirt that just said, it wasn't, it wasn't even like obnoxious. It just was in small print. It just says, Jesus really, really, really loves me. And, and I, I remember it's like, we're going to go out to dinner and I'm like, I was like stressed out about this t-shirt. I mean, the font was like, it was maybe like an 11 point, but I still was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. it's like a banner. Uh, and uh, and the, you know what's fascinating? He goes, he goes, this shirt, I go, Scott, 
that shirt is so, I mean, I, I love it, but it's so intense. Like, he goes, is it really? Like, I'm not even saying anything to anyone. It's about what God thinks about me. It's like, why would anyone be offended about me thinking that Jesus loves me? It's not like it's like, it doesn't say like repent, you know, turn or burn. It doesn't, there's none of that on there. It's not even an evangelistic shirt. It's a reminder to me every day that Jesus loves me. And I'm like, and I go, you do wear it almost every day. Uh, But I just, I remember having this conversation with him, like there was a simplicity in his faith. And this, Scott was not, like he always would play like, like I just have a simple faith. But he was a smart dude. Like he he learned to speak Russian by reading War and Peace in Russian. Uh, So I'm like, that's crazy. But what's powerful is that the more that he grew um, in a knowledge of Jesus, and the more he was empowered by the Spirit, the, actually the, the childlike wonder was what increased. And, and an overarching sense of Jesus's presence. And it really convicted me because I found that as I became obsessed, I remember asking one day, I'm like, do you think that God sits in time or outside of time? Is he in like endless time or does he actually override time altogether? And he goes, I don't know. I just want to love Jesus. And I just remember being like, okay, you win. That was a good answer. That was a, and I'm like, and he was right. Like, who cares? But the thing is, is that one of the common threads in Christianity today, and it's actually what gave birth to the liberal church in Germany in the 20th century. It's fascinating that the birthplace of, of the Reformation, uh, which was like a, a heartbeat for just revival and an awakening to the authority of the scripture and the beauty and the reality of Christ and the possibility of being born again and regeneration and that the scriptures should be available to all people. Also, by the time the 20th century, when the enlightenment came and people began to, to instead of coming to the scripture as truth and building their lives upon it, they began to pull out the stones and re-examine the truth of Scripture in light of, of the Enlightenment, and, and it was a reshaping of the truth or compromising, a synthesis, a dialectic attempt to, to make the worldview fit with a Christian worldview, um, to avoid uh, becoming irrelevant. And what it actually gave way to is a dead church. And it's interesting that Germany, which was once the, the heartbeat of the Reformation, became the heart became Europe's bane of existence in the 20th century giving rise to a totalitarian regime uh, and, and a dead that I think I think the church played a deep role in that in its in its abandonment of the truth and I think that this is important the spirit comes to guide us into truth to lead us into the solid ground to know the truth to love it to live it and if we're if we are not growing, you need to understand that it is because of sin. It's not, it's not something wrong with Jesus. It's not something wrong with your intellect because spiritual illumination is not dependent upon intellectual capacity. And remember, sin is not the little things that we do wrong. Sin is that rebellion. So you can say, well, I'm moralistic. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I come to church. I read my Bible. I do all these things. But the question is, is are you yielded? Because the essence of sin is a refusal to let God be God in our lives. And I think that this is the, this is the point, is there is no static position in the Christian faith. You're either moving toward Jesus or you're drifting from him. And how do we know that we are being directed into the truth? It doesn't lead to cold knowledge. It leads to personal revelation, discovery, intimacy. It actually increases childlike wonder. It shouldn't decrease it. It shouldn't create a stoic rigidity. Our faith should be vibrant 
And the Spirit brings charisma. It brings an excitement and enthusiasm because he brings us to the foot of the one who is the embodiment of truth. He points us again and again to Jesus. If it's not leading you to Jesus, it's not the Spirit leading you. Um, and I think that this is, this is important for us to understand. So the Spirit comes to direct and to bring discovery of the person of Christ. But notice what he says. Secondly, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will declare. This is declaration. It's not, it's not invention. This is not the invention of something new, but it's the declaration of the eternal God through Jesus. It's the revelation of who he is. My sheep, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We do not create truth. We are to abide in it as shelter from the storm of deception. And the spirit of truth comes to actually speak whatever he hears. And what does the spirit do? This is why he is the spirit of communion, which we'll consider next week, is that he actually comes to bring communion with the living Christ. He constantly is redirecting our attention. He doesn't create new ideas. He actually keeps bringing us to the, to the foundation of truth itself. And I think that this is a true thing today, that we should be very leery of new ideas. This is one of the reasons that I actually am a strong advocate. There are many great Christian leaders today, and there are, I'm not saying that I never read any current thought. Um, but I do have a general rule of thumb that it is that the percentage of new Christian thought always is is much much smaller than than those who have stood the test of time in orthodoxy. So I'd much rather spend my time reading guys that have been dead for forty years than new guys because they just hasn't stood the test yet. Um, and I think that this is one of those realities that we live in a time where one of the things that came out of the emergent movement in, in the early 2000s was this idea that truth was something to be not, not surrendered to, but something to be questioned. In an attempt to make Christianity somehow palatable for, for millennials and somehow palatable for our modern sensibilities, you have, you have books that began to question the, the very basic tenets of orthodoxy. And it's one thing to recognize that there are mysteries in the gospel, that we will never have a working full comprehension of everything, but we are to build our lives. And, and, and the other thing is that Christianity isn't something to be apologized for. We recognize that it is difficult. We don't apologize for the truth. We're like, I understand that this is very hard. It is hard. Difficult is the narrow path that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. But I don't apologize for the truth of who Jesus is. I don't apologize for his kingdom. I don't apologize for his ethic because he is the source of life, because truth is immovable. Why would I apologize? You can do nothing against the truth only for it. This is why E. Stanley Jones said, we can either surrender to the truth of who Jesus is or we can be utterly smashed by it, broken into a million pieces. For there will be a day when every knee shall bow. Whether you recognize Jesus as Lord or not, he is Lord. And that is the great truth by which all other truths flow. We do not create it. I would say that, you know, one of the things that Reformation was not a discovery of new truth. The church, you know, the, the idea that we should keep reforming uh, became a license for, uh, for um, young leaders, in, especially in the last 10 years, to just keep creating new ideas that actually soften the blow or the offensiveness of the gospel. The gospel is always offensive because it challenges our autonomy. 
because it says you actually don't know yourself. And that's offensive because we're told to build our lives upon our belief in ourselves. And, and what the scripture declares is that you are, is, you are more of an enigma to yourself than you can even begin to imagine. You put your focus upon Jesus and only then can you begin to discover who you're really meant to be as you give your life away to others. And so here is this great problem is that the Reformation was not, when Luther had this epiphany, it wasn't like new discovery. It was a return to the apostolic faith. I always say every new move of God, I want a new move of God. But what do we mean by that term? All we mean by that is that every new move of God, when the God, the God of the scriptures moves in power through his creation and reveals in power, when revival happens, all it is is a return to the old move that moved away. That's what we mean by new move. The, the pithy little statement, if it's new, it's not true, should hold more uh, in us. I, I think that those who are always obsessed with the newest detail that allows them to, uh, to get around the uncomfortable components of the Christian faith um, are, are playing in troubled water. The reality is, is that we should build our lives upon the person of Jesus. He declares to us who Jesus is and allow the cross to work out into the peripherals of Christian living. We get so obsessed with the things we can't explain that we ignore and avoid and rebel against the things that are very clear. Do what you know, as John Corson once said, and you'll know what to do. <laughs> it's not new truth, it's just often neglected truth. This is why Chesterton said brilliantly in the beginning of his, of his beautiful little book, Orthodoxy, I am the man with the utmost daring, who with the utmost daring discovered what had been discovered before. Like them, I tried to be ten, some 10 minutes in advance of the truth, and I found that I was 1,800 years behind it. I love that. For the time will come, remember what it said in 2 Timothy? Chapter four, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. This terrifying verse that declares what has been a problem um, since Jesus ascended. For the ends of the age and the last days have been the days, between, are the days between when Jesus ascended and, and will end when he returns. And so this is, and I think it will continue to increase is that people will no longer, and do, are we not dealing with that today? Think about the city of Portland. Can people endure the truth? Can they endure it? And what do we do? We either submit to it or we try to get rid of it, work around it. Why do you think there's been such attempts to undermine Christianity? A lot of it has to do with the offensiveness of the moral ethics of God's kingdom. Uh, and, and so what do we do? Just get rid of, if we get rid of God, we can get rid of his morality. The Spirit, finally, in this threefold revelation, not only does he come to direct and bring us into discovery, not only does he come to declare the truth of who Jesus is, but he brings revelation. He will tell you of things to, he will tell you of things to come. There will be an increasing of discernment. The Spirit is the revealer. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The Spirit, this, you know, this is one of the reasons people have often um, said, some people complain about it. I don't know why, because I, I guess it's just I just teach the way that I would want to be taught, which is to not be overly prescriptive. 
I, so I'm not a prescriptive. I don't want to spell out every component. I don't give you seven steps to do this and eight steps to do that. Because what I want you to, to begin to trust in, I just want to bring you to the person of Christ. And then I want the spirit to bring revelation so that, it, that, that you enter into the adventure of discovery. I hate it when people spell things out for me. I don't like even when people show me music because I want to discover it for myself. Is that snobbery? Maybe. Or hyper-spirituality. <laughs> but I do think that, that remember what, what John writes in First John? He says, you don't need a teacher because you have the spirit within you. He's not saying that we shouldn't gather at church. He's not saying that there isn't a need for preachers or teachers. What he's saying is that you can't learn apart from the Holy Spirit as the teacher, that we learn together as a community as the spirit teaches us and instructs us. And what we need is a greater yieldedness to the spirit's revelation. What is needed in the church today is a spirit of revelation. We need a prophetic voice once again. And the prophet does not say maybe, could have been, or should have been. The prophet says, thus says the Lord. And what the Spirit brings us is the, is the boldness and the tenacity to ground ourselves in the foundation of Jesus. There's far too much guesswork happening due to biblical illiteracy and a refusal to submit to the Spirit's guidance. You know, we don't like to read anymore, but... As helpful, let me just tell you too. I was just sitting with Tim the other day, and uh, the, we were, he gave me the, the new book for the Bible project that kind of is, has all the, all, actually, all of Everett's drawings in it. So beautiful. Such a great book. Um, that is not meant, the Bible project videos are not meant to replace the necessity for scripture reading. In fact, I feel like, I swear I've talked to some people that are like, so glad that came out. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier to just take the, it's like 76 hours otherwise, but we can take this in in five minutes. Like, it's supposed to inspire you to read the Bible, to help you, it's just to help, it's a tool to help you dig into the Word. Tim is just utilizing his gifting as a teacher and the, and the giftedness of the animators and that whole organization is to inspire you to dig into the Scriptures. They give you a passion for the Word of God so that the Spirit actually has something to illuminate in you. And you, it's hard. It's hard. Let's, let's face it. If you don't like to read a thousand-plus-page book written thousands of years ago is a little bit challenging. I recognize that. But nonetheless, God actually believes. You know, David Foster Wallace was asked why he wrote such a long book when he wrote Infinite Jest, which every person should read. It's one of the greatest novels written in the last 40 years. Uh, and, and he said, he goes, I refuse to believe that my readers are stupid. I think God says the same about us. I refuse to believe that you're incapable. And, and, you, and you'll be like, I know, I'm not, I'm, I really am. And you'll be like, but I gave you my spirit. Like, literally, like, you have God in you. What's, so what's, now what's the dilemma? Like, do we believe that God resides within us to instruct us or not? I, and so I think that this is, this is something that it, what it should bring about is a humbling, a greater level of dependence that God would reveal the truth of who Jesus is. And what is the outcome? What, so here's, I love how Jesus ends this. In verses 14 and 15, he shows us what the outcome of the Spirit's instruction should be. He says, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. 
Therefore, I, I said that he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. So the Spirit, as our teacher, glorifies Jesus in us. But I believe the litmus test is that the Spirit doesn't just make known to our hearts Jesus. It's not enough to say, yeah, I'm getting to know Jesus. No, when Jesus says that he will be glorified by the Spirit, how is Jesus glorified? Glory is, is fame. It's being made known. In other words, the instruction, the illumination, the revelation, the direction, the discovery that comes as we yield to the Spirit of the person of Jesus. How do we know that we are Spirit-filled and being Spirit-led and Spirit-instructed is that our lives actually bring glory to Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. So if you want to ask the question, how do I know I'm being Spirit-led? Well, I just would ask, do people see Jesus in you? Is Jesus glorified through your life? Does your life reveal the beauty of the sun? Or does it reveal a lot of you? What are you yielded to? Is your, is your Christian life marked by a, a lot of attempts to work around the challenging components of Christian truth? You don't like his sexual ethic? I mean, remember, we live in an age where I just saw on, you know, you have, you have in Canada parents that won't put the gender of their child on the birth certificate because they want to give the child the opportunity to decide for themselves. We have a New York Times article a week ago that showed parents with a three-year-old toddler, I'm positive they're not that aware of their gender at that point, who is as a boy wearing a dress and it says, we celebrate our son's gender creativity. What this means is a society that we are called to love and to care for and to bring the truth of Jesus, but it's a society that basically says that truth is defined by the individual. It's no longer I have the right to define what I believe. It literally has become I have the right to define what I am. I don't even have to abide by the, by the term male or female any longer. I can choose X. And this is the age which we live, and it is very prevalent in this city. And to hold to the truth of the scripture and to say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in what Jesus says in his ethic means that we will be chastised for our faith. God's people are going to come under increasing pressure to either yield to the culture or experience persecution. And it's a reality that we have to face. And I think that the call for us and that one of the ideas is that you can't actually hold to truth and be a loving person. That's absolutely ludicrous. Paul says, don't judge the people out there in the world. Judgment begins in the church. We're called to hold each other accountable. We are called to be vessels by which we reveal. We just declare. We're witnesses. We're not lawyers. This is who Jesus is. He loves you. He calls you to himself. Come to him. Let him reveal the truth to you. That's why when I talk with my non-believing friends, I don't start with the nuances of, their, of their, their existence. I just say, who do you think Jesus is? Because Jesus alone can actually reveal the truth. So this isn't about me picking on particular camps. I just want you guys to be really clear on that. I only use those examples to show you the challenges that we are confronted with. What we bring people to is the loving Christ, and we need the illumination, the excitement, the adventure of the Spirit, the boldness to stand against the tide of an age that says we don't need Jesus, we don't need his kingdom, we will make our own kingdom, we will make a name for ourselves, and it's babble out there, it's confusion, it's destruction, it's lies. 
and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. May we bring the love of Christ that brings freedom and liberation and truth to the world. May we let the Spirit guide us into all truth. Amen.